Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I am very happy to reintroduce you to one of the busiest working actors ever, anywhere, Bob Balaban. He is a producer. He's a director. He writes. He's an actor. And I, I have a lot of friends who are actors. And I've never had anyone who works more than Mr. Balaban. And he, in fact, you know, we talked earlier about the about Gosford Park, one of our favorites, which he created, he produced it, and Bob also was in something that I caught on TV that I have to tell you how it resonated with me. It, it's, you can get it streaming. It's called The Chair. And to me, it was really special. And I'm going to let the one and only Balaban explain. Uh, all the, now, you, have, you grew up in a family that was in the movie business, but from the time you were a kid, in college, you sort of went, you knew this was going to be your direction. Well, I never actually thought I would get to do anything. I thought my fallback position, which is even harder than being an actor, was to be a writer. So thank God I didn't have to fall back on that. <laughs> uh, but I was always interested in some form of make, make believe. I was a puppeteer starting at the age of three and annoyed my family forever for giving weekly puppet shows and charging admission and making them all come. But at least it did help lead to this idea because when you're a puppeteer, you get to be the actor too because the puppets don't know what they're saying. You have to do the talking. So I think I was preparing for a career at this but never thought I would be an actor. I wasn't tall. I didn't look like actors look. And that's probably exactly the reason I started getting jobs. And you started working all the time early on always doing something. I remember so many years ago, a big story in the New York Times, and it was about sort of America's busiest working actor, that you may not have the lead, but you were in the major stuff. Well, when, you, when you're trying to do four or five different careers, it's much easier to give the appearance of being busy. If you just had to select one out, I wouldn't be that busy. <laughs> no, but, but busy, too. And you like all of the disciplines, right? From acting, writing, they, directing. Well, I do, and they all seem to help each other, both because you get to meet more people, which exposes you to more possibilities, and also simply because it's really good if you're an actor to know what's going on behind the scenes. And any time you're directing or producing, you're just watching other actors in a way that you don't get to watch them when you're working with them as, as an actor. And it's very, it's very... It helps. Well, when I was when I was in college, I never thought I would, you know, I just thought I'd be in college and then I'd God knows figure out what to do. And at one point, my wife Lynn came to me because she used to read show backstage and show business these magazines that pretended to help you get a job, and in this case, yeah. they really did. She said they're doing you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Uh, they need somebody to be Linus, and the main prerequisite is that you be. Five foot five and a half or shorter, and that was and I got, heaven. That's how I got my first job in New York, <laughs> on stage, which is great. Yeah, and, it was great. You know, and, and it kept on. And then, like a person like Wes Anderson, a brilliant, creative guy, you you do so many Wes Anderson projects, films. When did that start? 
It started about eight years ago with a movie called Moonrise Kingdom, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, I, I, of course, knew very much who he was and was very happy when he called me and he said he'd like me to do something. And I soon learned that when you work with Wes, you're working in a big extended family. He treats everybody like their relatives in a good way, because <laughs> some of us don't treat our relatives that well. Um, but he creates a real feeling of everybody's on a team and we're all pulling. And some, and he often, one, one, once he hires you for something, he does tend to ask you back again, because he likes to be familiar with the people he's working with. It's just, it's just something he likes, and it's an awful lot of fun to keep working. And you, you make friends, and you're working with your friends. So um, when you're when you're when Wes calls you and says, "Do you want to be in the next movie?" Yeah. Uh, you don't say, "How big's my part going to be?" Because we're 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 friends and we're quite quasi relatives at this point. You just go, and sometimes you just get to open your mouth a couple of times and wave. And sometimes you have an actual part, and it and it really doesn't matter in the long run. It's like a repertory company. It's really fun. And how much fun! You just came back from Spain. And it was like being with all the relatives. And I'm sure that it was really amusing and comfortable and warm and a great adventure. Well, it was great. And it worked out well for COVID because we all stayed in this one giant, I wouldn't call it a hotel. It used to be a monastery in the 1400s, but it had everything attached to it. So we never had to go anywhere. We never saw anybody else who wasn't in our pod. And we all got tested all the time. So it was it was a great way to to get to know your friends even better because nobody could do anything else except go to work or or be at the hotel. And we all had dinner every night as soon as Wes finished shooting. You we'd all go sit at this giant table outside and have fabulous and, uh, food and and have a, a dinner with with your friends. And as long as you moved around the table every night, you got to sit next to a different friend, which I love. And it was a, great. a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, just opened at the film festival, The French Dispatch. You're in that, and uh, the new movie is the one that you went to Spain for. So, yes, yes, that's I can't say one. anything about it because it's We're, always very top secret. But I can say The French Dispatch is insanely fun to watch. No, and if, if for all of us who have been in a related field, it's about journalism, journalists, and it it's, just sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to see it, and it's got a great cast. Well, Wes, well, I mean, a lot of movie directors in his generation have an encyclopedic knowledge of movies, but Wes has something else. He's literate, and he reads everything. And he started reading The New Yorker when he was a kid, and it continues to be one of his favorite magazines and things to read. And in, in, in many ways, The French Dispatch is kind of a love letter to The New Yorker. Well, I look forward to it, and I know people who have seen it and are having such a good time with it, loved it, and are talking about it. But then I told you earlier, I saw something called The Chair, and I have to tell you, I don't know why that resonated so much, but I do have friends who are academics, and I thought this was really something special. And I loved your part, too, Bob. It's about, it's about, well, Sandra Oh is in it, and it's about the chair 
of an English department. Very unusual, a woman. It's good that people know that because otherwise they think it's a movie about places a chair. where you sit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but when you see it, it's the perfect title, right? And how hard it is to get tenure. And here she not only gets tenure, but it's so unusual that a woman and an Asian woman would have this position. And you meet all kinds of people, including Bob Balaban, who's a professor of American Lit. And you deal with ageism and so many people, like academics who have been in place for a long period of time, are really resistant to change. And why not? That could mean the end of their careers. Well, it's interesting. This is such a major topic in everywhere, but especially in the in colleges and universities around the country. And yet nobody ever writes about it because I guess it's kind of boring. It sounds boring when you say cancel culture. It's very serious. And it is a serious thing. But how brilliant of Amanda Peet and the other people and everybody at Netflix for figuring out that the only way you could do a, a, this subject matter was to make it into a black comedy because it is a black comedy. It's funny and it's terrible. And it's very watchable. I was, I myself was surprised when I read it because I thought they're making me really get interested in this. And if you didn't do that, it, it would just be like a a, a a lesson, which it's not. Right, and it it, and it it deals with so many issues. It deals with a single mother. I I thought that part was too, was really extraordinary too. You know, everyone portrays families like the Brady Bunch, but here. Right. We have this woman, this head, this chair of her department, a big deal, and she adopts a child. And she's Asian, and she adopts a child, I think, from Mexico. And it the relationship between the mother and child is so real that I was taken aback. I thought, this well, is... She, first of all, Sandra Oh is so talented. Wonderful. And the writing is great. But that little girl... I've never seen another kid actor do what this kid is able to do. Right. And it looks like it's the easiest thing in the world, and I can't wait to see what she's going to do when she's actually 15 years old. Right. She's a little kid. But she really did a great job. And the, we felt for all the characters, including your character. You know, we didn't know whether we wanted to root for him, you know, to hang yeah. on to his job because he really worked hard. And, of course, the university, the college that is the subject of this, is a would-be Ivy League, you know, maybe at the bottom of the Ivy League ladder, <laughs> right? And well, then... Go they ahead. didn't know how to get... They, they, in the movie, I mean, in real life, they could have gotten rid of me by firing me, but you can't do that <laughs> if you've got tenure. Yeah. Um, and so I was the stodgy old white man, Jew, no less. Right. Um, and I, I was just holding on to my traditional ways, and I had a wonderful... Nana Mensa is her name. She's a wonderful young actor. And she's chomping at the bit to be modern and to, right, and, take and to have Zoom calls with people and take, and basically take over. So um, it, it, there, there were just wonderful characters in it, and it represented all kinds of trouble that you can get into sexually, content-wise. The, and the other terrible issue in, in college is... If nobody comes to your classes, it doesn't mean how doesn't matter how brilliant you are. You got to find a way to make them come to class, right. and Nana was able to do that by by using Twitter as a tool, which my character practically had a nervous breakdown of. Of course, who knows from that stuff? And 
No, that was it was really fascinating. And people don't understand, too, you know, like in the theater, you've got to fill those seats or your survival can be very yeah. iffy. Yeah. And I think there were a lot of life lessons in that. And it's only six half-hour episodes, so go see it if you haven't seen it yet. Now, also, in the middle of all the stuff that you're doing, I saw you had done some evenings at Guild Hall. Is that what you're working on now, more of that? Little individuals well, and scenes and one acts and things? No, basically... That was something for the summer to help to raise some money for right. Guild Hall, which it actually did. But also, it really was the first time so many people in audiences and me, me as a director, uh, I haven't encountered a live audience for almost two years. And it was just a great pleasure. Now, everybody was double vaccinated. You had to wear your mask all the time, and they were very strict about it. And we did this show twice, and it was a series of covid monologues which again sounds about as appealing as cancel culture <laughs> and it was really fun to watch some of them were actually well it was about how did you deal with the year 2020 uh, and there were you know, a couple of serious monologues in there but more than that there were a lot of funny hopefully really funny stuff because you because it's kind of hard to get an audience if you're doing all of one thing no and we need to laugh i mean there's no question that we need that kind of relief. So but when the when the when the when the the two times we did it, every time the lights went down and the actors started coming out, you could literally feel the relief in the audience. We're getting to see real people; they're getting to experience us, and especially doing monologues. It's a very personal way to deal with an audience, and it was a great way to sort of tiptoe back into real theater. Right now, in between all of the things you do. Can you allow yourself to relax, or do you have that actor's anxiety? What's going to be next? What's going to be next? The most relaxing time for me is when I know I have two jobs lined up, and I know what I'm doing for the next eight months. Then I'm relaxing. <laughs> oh, you are too much. <laughs> you, you, you hit the nail on the head. No. You're, so do you have a lot of stuff lined up? Well, I'm developing two or three new projects that I would— potentially produce and direct. I'm very excited about them, but those are the things that you just plug away and plug away, and then every once in a while, something like a Gosford Park or an Exonerated or something I did called uh, Bernard and Doris about Doris Duke and her butler. I saw Sometimes things that. you've been pushing for years and years suddenly come through, and it's almost easy, and uh, then sometimes it can take years for these things to happen. But that's what I'm concentrating on right now. So are we talking about screenplays, theater plays? One, One's a theater play that I would actually act in. But uh -huh. I think it's going to be well, – I'm not. we have to wait and see what's happening in New York in the fall. And, well, this is the fall, and I it know, is but, happening. Right. Yeah. And but the other things I'm developing are basically limited television series. All right. Well, it all sounds exciting, and content is where it's at, right? I mean, everyone is looking for content. Well, there are so many outlets that it's almost impossible to find anything new and interesting. You really have to go looking hard. And the, the great thing about it is, when you think about it, how, how many, not many years ago, there were three ways of watching television, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Exactly. And now you can't even name, if you had 20 hands, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't line up every possible outlet because there's, there's hundreds of places that need your content. 
No. Of course, there are more people trying, but it's, it's a lot of opportunity. No, I agree, and it's a very exciting time. And, of course, it raises a lot of questions, which I'm sure the movie industry is dealing with right now. You know, are we going to go back to movie houses and create movies for houses and for the big movie market? Or are we going to look at what you and I have been talking about, streaming and all the different um, stations, some of which we never even heard of? People need a guide to how to get onto these different things. Well, I remember when the best writing was all being done for theatrical movies and television was where the funny, stupid stuff was. Uh-huh. And now, in many cases, it's the actual opposite thing. If it's something new and interesting and really well-written and a little bit unusual, you're going to find it on TV. It won't be able to find a home as a movie. Although we have to remember that a lot of the bigger places like Netflix and and uh, other places are just as happy to do a movie for television as they are a series. Uh, so it's just a lot of places for your projects to go. Right. And do and, you and find... As, and as you said... Go yep, ahead. And, and, and if you really want to fill a theater... You better have James Bond or a superhero. And he is a superhero, isn't he? My favorite. I know. I yeah. love it. I, I people, My yeah. friends make fun of me because I'm such uh-huh. a James Bond groupie. But to me, that's the ultimate escapism, right? I yeah. Mean, you you just sink down and let that happen. It's like meeting an old friend every three and a half years. Yeah. But this guy is finished. So now we have to find another one that we like. Well, that that's the that's the big surprise. Who knows, right? I'm sh- I mean, I'm sure they have ten people they're thinking about, but in, you know, it's exciting in a way. It's well, like we need waiting you. to see how the new cars are going to come out. Bob, we need you in a James Bond movie. Well, I I would accept. That's okay. Um, I I could be a very quirky, sort of unlikely villain, I suppose. I think that would be really great and funny uh-huh. because that's real life. You know, I yes, the biggest villains don't always look like villains. No, not at all. I think that would be great. Anyway, whatever you're doing, we all look forward to it. Congratulations on everything, on the movies, on the theater, on all the two million before breakfast Balaban projects. <laughs> and we'll talk to well, you. It's before. great talking to you, Joan, and I love hearing your voice. We'll talk soon. And I'm Thanks. Joan Hamburg. That's Bob Balaban, and you're listening to your favorite radio station, WABC. Stay tuned.